Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. The Florida Project might be the first Sean Baker movie you see in theaters, but he has been on the scene for a long, long time. Perhaps best known for the iPhone 5S film's Tangerine, Baker has been a champion of low-budget filmmaking for his entire career. More so than that, he has been a trailblazer in the democratization of film. Inspired by the Dogma 95 movement, created by the Danish directors Lars van Trier and Thomas Vinterberg, he is known for making best use of the resources available to him. Takeout, The Prince of Broadway, and yes, Tangerine were all shot on minuscule budgets with minimal crew and whatever gear they could afford to shoot on. His latest film, The Florida Project, breaks this trend, but keeps the Dogma 95 spirit well alive. It's his first film to be granted a million dollar budget, and shot on 35mm, every frame oozes with beauty. If any director were to make the fullest use of the medium he shot on, Baker would be it. The film is set over one summer in Celebration, Florida, the home of Disney World. It follows the everyday adventures of precocious six-year-old Mooney, a child whose mother lives month to month in a motel and does some less than favorable things to make rent. Baker and I discuss his long road through obscurity, the level of discipline every filmmaker should aspire to own, and how, even when no one else believes in you, you can still believe in yourself. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and I am here with Sean Baker, director of The Florida Project. How are you doing today, Sean? Good, thanks for having me. No problem, it's an honor. Um, let's let's start off by, uh, uh, I'm going to ask, Did you went to film school, right? You went to... I did, yeah, NYU. NYU. Tisch, undergrad. Cool. Very cool. For, so for undergrad, though. Yes, yes. And uh, what kind of things uh, were you learning? When, when was that? Oh, do you really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. A long, <laughs> long time ago spot. in a galaxy far away. Yeah. No, a very long time ago, actually. I, I graduated. I, I'm not going to say a year, but let's just say I graduated with, like, Todd Phillips, Mark Forster, those guys. Okay, that works yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. What were some of the things that you took away from film school uh, back then? Um, that... When I first was leaving film school, I realized that it was way more about the people you were meeting there than the education you were receiving. Right. Uh, equipment was very important, the access to equipment at the time. Um, and, I, and I started to think, huh, I could have done this at my community college. <laughs> and I kind of still think that way. Yeah. <laughs> Hope NYU isn't listening. Um, no, it's really about... I think it's all about the people you are working with. So I always told people, hey, it doesn't matter if you're going to school or not. As long as you just go hang out with the people mm-hmm. who are actually going and, and get on their crews, <laughs> you know, and learn that way. Because that's exactly what you're doing anyway. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're learning from, from working together and, and, uh, and forming relationships that you will be hopefully – and in my case, yes, it, it did work out. Uh, you'll have for the rest of your life. I mean, Chris Bragash and I met at NYU, and um, I graduated. Now, this is where I truly, <laughs> truly age myself, but I graduated literally when digital was just kicking in. Mm-hmm. So I actually edited uh, films on a Steam Deck mm-hmm. with tape and a razor blade, and uh, you know, um, and I I actually had to go back to school. I started learning nonlinear just because my friends had systems uh, in the mid-90s. But I went back to school to officially learn the AVID, and I went to the new school for continuing studies over there, whatever they call it. And that's where I met Chi Ching Zhou, who was doing grad work there. She, she got her 
a graduate degree from there. So we, so two relationships that I feel, and no, and not only that, the Greg the Bunny guys. So I have many relationships that stem from schools. Yeah. Yeah. Did you meet the Greg the Bunny guys at the NYU. new school? Oh, at NYU. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Dan Milano and Spencer Chenoy and, and Spencer and I were roommates senior year. Wow. Yeah. So did you find that those projects that you were working on at NYU sort of informed the projects that you'd later be working on in your career in terms of yeah. thematically or... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys were. Those guys were. Um, Dan and and his circle, they were already doing puppet shows during their sight and sound video classes and stuff like that. So they, yes, thematically, they were already set down that road. My stuff, I was, I, hmm, my senior film, my, my the films that I worked on really, if you look at them now, had very little to do with what I'm doing. Now. Yeah. Yeah, but but I think what happened with NYU is more about my my time to be in a, such a wonderful city that that provided me with with ways of almost self-educating. Right. So I had the retrospective theaters. I had anthology film archives that was major in my life. I had the Film Society of Lincoln Center with all the wonderful festivals. Um, I even I had Kim's video. I had I had. Uh, you know, uh, all right. Yeah. All of them. All yeah. Of them. So, so it was a great time to be in New York because you just had act. Well, right now is a great time too. Okay. Like there was a moment in there where it got a little hairy, <laughs> yeah. but then all of a sudden you know, like I live in LA now and I look at all like these amazing theaters, Nighthawk and oh, Metrograph yeah. oh, and yeah. the quad is now amazing. So I look at like, I'm jealous Yeah. because we lost in a family. We lost in a family in LA. We, um, we don't really have a lot going. I mean, we have a lot in LA, of course. But I'm kind of jealous of what's going on in New York. So I caught your IFP uh, talk a few weeks ago at, uh, oh, at Brick. I was there. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> uh, I was tired that morning. Oh, I don't even I'm, remember what I said. As was I. It was ridiculous waking up at like 10 a.m. Yeah. That was the first event. Yes. So I had to go pick up my badge before oh, that. Boy. 9 a.m. Yeah. Anyways, you bring up LA now. And mm-hmm. one of the things that you said at that screening at, or the, the talk, yeah. I don't know if you remember. Yeah is uh, you said that once you hit L.A., you mm. kind of don't look back in terms of... Uh, you lived in New York City. You still have an apartment in New York City, Yeah, right? but... Yeah, because it's rent-stabilized. I can okay. Never, well, I, <laughs> I sublet it out. But I L.A. Uh, LA does... And there's no doubt about it, it. It puts you in the world of the industry. Okay. Now, look, you can have an independent film career here, obviously. Look at... Spike Lee and Jarmusch and you know it works here it totally works here but there was uh, the the just the proximity for me helped me out I think I don't know whether it was my time the time in my life or the fact that I actually um, felt myself closer to you know colleagues and peers that were working in my field and I wanted to you know I, I felt almost like a stronger sense of community there and not slamming the New York's New York's film community. I'm just saying that that was the time where I felt like I was finally uh, interacting with, Mm. with others, with other filmmakers. And, uh, and so I I found inspiration there. When do you think would be a good time for an aspiring filmmaker to move to LA? Does he have to have like an established feature out? Does it make? Uh, No, I think it really depends on what sort of work you want to do. And, um, and yeah, and your career path that you want to take. I mean, look at, look at all the filmmakers who live in Austin now. I mean, they're obviously doing great and they have a sense of community there. And then, and, uh, and so 
It really depends. I mean, look, if you want to go right into TV and and uh, and you have I would or, or studio films, obviously, you go there. Go there fast. You know, I, I never had that desire. And so even living there now is more about quality of life. Um, you know, I, my, my income level is still, it's just an independent filmmaker. So it actually is cheaper to live there. Yeah. And, um, and also being in the unions, it helps out. I'm very close to the DGA and, and there's, and there's lots of, you know, for me, it provides me with a lot of events and screenings and, and, uh, so I don't know, it really, really comes down to your career path and, uh, mm, Yeah. well i'm like i say this just you know considering making a move out there myself um i don't know anyone out there really Mm -hmm. uh but i think you know like you say it's about i guess the relationships that you'll forge there do you have to have relationships in place or did you find it easy to sort of like make new relationships i did find it easy to make new relationships i mean you have people who are are all struggling they're trying to break in so you're surrounding yourself with other people who are like-minded mm-hmm. and um and there does seem to be you know to a certain degree a social you know uprising there where i i see that there are more there are more events for filmmakers um there are more there are more uh, you know you have film independent out there it's very strong i mean i know you know ifp is here and it's the same sort of thing if you're if you're going to especially if you're going down the the route of of um Agent, an agency, you want to find an agent, an agent, and you're going to be, you know, that you're going to be working within the system. Mm-hmm. If you're there, you're getting way more meetings. You can find financiers and producers easier. Mm-hmm. So there's that okay. to take into consideration. Well, then let's step back to New York and your yeah. work here. Right. Um, after college, you know, uh, you are a prolific filmmaker, and, you know, a lot of people. I think six. I, th- I think you have six features, right? Yes. yes. This is your sixth feature. Yes. Um, and I was wondering, you know, from graduating NYU to making your first feature, mm. what were the steps that you had to go through to uh, make that movie? Well, it was at a time where people were still shooting on film mm-hmm. exclusively. There was no video yet. Right. Not even standard def. Dogma ninety five didn't kick in yet. So it was at a time where you would have to shoot on film. And so I was lucky enough to, to land a job. It was a very, you know, it was just one of those, like, right out of school, finding uh, a small publishing company that put me in charge of their AV work. So basically I was producing a lot of corporate-type videos. I was interviewing uh, authors, traveling all over the, the States just to, to interview them and then put together a little EPK, right? But that that's good. That's good work. I mean... It pays the bills, and I would suggest anybody who is who is striving to become a filmmaker to stay within your at least at least in the AV world because yeah. you're practicing on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. even though it feels like oh, this isn't me being creative, it is. It really is because you're still you're still framing shots. You're still you're still editing. You're still getting you know understanding the technical side of things. So. And, and and trust me, I've gone to places where I've even spent, uh, how long? About six months 
editing and shooting wedding videos. I mean, what felt like the lowest part of my, like, <laughs> I can't get any lower. I'm doing wedding videos. Uh, but that, looking back on it, even though at the time I was just like, this is, this is really, um, I can't get any lower. Looking back, it was actually a time in which there was a lot of growth. I was, I was uh, spending the time to edit these wedding videos in a way that was like, I was putting my heart into them. Yeah. You know, and not only that, I was, ex- I was actually getting to, in a sociological uh, way, I was going to all these weddings from people from different backgrounds. And, and, the, and, and, and I even wrote a script that hasn't been produced yet, but was about a Russian wedding because of the amount of, you know, you live in New York, and oh, there's man, amount yeah. of like the <laughs> weddings that I had to go out in, in Brighton Beach. Yeah. And, 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 and they were, they were so unique and so wonderful, so fun. And, and and so full of character that like as a as somebody who's a writer it was it was giving me so much material so at the time yes wanted to kill myself <laughs> and then, you know looking back in hindsight i actually got a lot from it so so sticking in the world of you know in in this industry to a certain degree i think that going off and you know and and being um doing something outside of your industry um is if you can you know, if you can find, if you can pay the bills with, with doing corporate videos or editing or whatever you can, I would say do that over doing something completely unrelated because there's still, it's still practice. You're still, and, and, and again, I, I'm the type of filmmaker who thinks that a, that a director should, should know a, almost all aspects of, of technology, of, of, you know, the technological aspects of, of filmmaking. I really feel like a director know, should know how to turn off a freaking camera. I've met too many directors who can't even turn on a camera, which is embarrassing. You know, I, I, I think that um, a director should understand shooting, not be a master DP. No, obviously not. But if but know how to capture an image, um, you know, should know how to edit on a base on one of the nonlinear systems. You should know Final Cut or you should know the Avid, um, you know, because what it comes down to is that uh, this is a director driven art. Right. I mean, one person eventually it falls into a director's lap and and you should be able to, you know, jump on these whatever these the editing system or the camera or whatever it takes um to to actually it's like a painter not knowing how to pick up a brush right you know what i mean yeah yeah anyway i totally went off on a tangent no no that was great (laughs) i mean it's it's uh it's it's even more uh a a thing to to know every aspect of production Mm -hmm. if you're working on your first passion project oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) you know because people are you can't expect everyone to ever have the amount of passion you'll have for that they're not being paid enough yeah (laughs) you know they're simply you can't even you can't even i mean there are of course those really special personalities out there those producers who are with you no matter what but it's asking a lot of people yeah because the amount when you break down the uh when you really break it down and you're saying like how much did i actually make making this feature it's usually well if that's if you're not paying for it if you're paying for it yourself you're usually losing money yeah, absolutely but but even in the sense that even in a place where you're getting like your director's minimums from the union so I get say I just am a director mm-hmm. and I have a DGA minimum coming in for a feature right okay you break that down over three years of time and you are working almost like six days a week and it's 12 hours a day sometimes you're basically making minimum wage yeah (laughs) you know what i mean and it's more than that too because you're constantly thinking about these things so your amount of stress you're Mm -hmm. killing yourself (laughs) there's that whole thought too so become a filmmaker yeah (laughs) Um, but ultimately though then you look at it and you're like 
okay, but I am in the position. You have to stay positive because like you're in a position in which, wow, you actually are able to, to, to work in this, in this, in this art form. It's the most expensive art form. It takes a lot of luck and a lot of right timing and a lot of like, you know, years and years of, 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 of being driven and 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 ultimately it's like you know but i'm i'm in a place of privilege I'm, I'm i'm being able to do this and this is really something that i should be thankful for because you know um so many people are not in that position they they are going through they have jobs that they they can't wait until 5 p.m they just want to go home and forget about it we go home we don't go home sometimes our you know we 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 live with our 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 work for for three years straight and then it's on to the next one you know and so these are our babies these are our children and 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 so if you think about it it's like we are we are just we are like career-long parents that's our (laughs) thing you know it's weird it's crazy yeah Yeah. well i mean especially for you you know you you're making movies i feel like every single one of your movies has been a passion project in some way like it's come from you yeah well i think i just look at the directors that i admire and and the films that i admire and they're always passion projects i mean you you probably i mean did did kubrick ever make a film that wasn't a passion project probably not Mm -hmm. you know um and 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 uh so they have to be they really they should be yeah And then, so I feel like another thing that you can do to sort of, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of luck, of course, Mm. um, but this whole preparedness thing we were talking Mm. about by, you know, sort of investing as much energy in your day job. uh, If you can, there's like a ton of day jobs today that, I mean, the way that video content is exploding all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, there's opportunities out there. Um, to become, what do they used to call, they used to call them predators, right? Where yeah. you're a producer. What is that? That's what I am. <laughs> that's what you are. I'm looking at I'm one, a right? Predator, yeah. Um, but um, but you know, there are so many outlets right now that that rely on video content, that rely on you know audio content, and and so it's 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 a new world. You know, journalism has fallen into an AV world to a certain mm-hmm. degree, and so and so. Yes, there are way more opportunities. I was lucky at the time out of NYU to have this this publishing company, and and all my other friends were struggling. Yeah, they were they were they were, they were waiters and waitresses, and 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 or hardly working in the field in in the industry whatsoever. They were like, I didn't mean. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, they were they were doing stuff. They were they had they were struggling to get any job, and I, I was in a place where I was. Um, very i was very blessed to have this thing in which it actually i landed a commercial getting back to that whole thing sure i landed a commercial just because it was just a connection it was just simply a connection i made at this job it's always about connections it's always about meeting people you know that is one that's another thing about la you're out and you're meeting people right you're you're in the industry so anyway but at this publishing company i got one commercial yeah, I talked them into allowing me to shoot it on Super 16, so it looked really good at the time. And and that commercial, even though it didn't even air, it didn't. They didn't even have the budget to like air it for some weird reason. It ended up. I was that was the first thing that went onto my reel. Mm-hmm. And then I actually got a real commercial out of it. And it wasn't a huge commercial. It was a tall, a uh, small um, toy company. Mm-hmm. 
but it put like 50 grand in my pocket. That 50 grand, I didn't spend a, a, a cent of it. It went right into buying all the raw stock from Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys. That's awesome. It was all, <laughs> it was like their leftover stock. And yeah. it, at the time, it was their fastest Kodak stock. It was the fastest Kodak stock. So I could shoot at night and get an exposure at night. I don't even think those stocks are available anymore. That's the sad part. Probably not. Because Kodak only makes like two or three stocks and mm-hmm. they don't do the fast ones. So... So this allowed me to shoot some stuff at night, and I made this little social realist Kevin Smithy type movie. Um, <laughs> no, it was actually a social realist Kevin Smith film in a way, not inspired by Kevin Smith. It's just it happened to be that I wanted to focus on guys in the suburbs, and I'm also from Jersey, so I think we had a similar sensibility that way. But but I'm, it's called Four Letter Words. It was called had several names. It actually went to. South by Southwest in 2000. Okay. So that was my first sort of, that that's what sort of um, validated me in a way. It right. was like, oh, wow, okay, I'm being taken seriously here. I made a feature. It got to South by. Um, at the same time, I had this, this television show that I was a co-creator on, Greg the Bunny. And that is, again, a lesson in putting your work out there and and doing something to, you know, the industry won't come. You know, Mark Duplass had that wonderful keynote speech at South by Southwest where he's like, the Calvary is not going to come. You mm-hmm. know, it's not, you have to, you have to put your work out there. You have to prove yourself. And what we did with uh, Greg the Bunny, this was before YouTube, because now people have so many platforms. Uh, but at the time, there was only public access. Mm-hmm. That was the only way to show your film to the, um, your, your, your work to the public for free. And we put, our Greg the Bunny episodes up on public access, Manhattan Neighborhood Network, it was called at the time. Maybe it still is. And suddenly we were getting calls and and agencies were actually watching that stuff. So so we got on IFC and we were shooting little like interstitial, like the, these little interstitial episodes that parodied the independent films that they were showing. Mm-hmm. And we happened to be lovers of film. So we were really into this and having our puppets parody independent movies like Blue Velvet and and uh, I don't know. We even did autofocus. And by the way, I still have to show Willem that. I don't think he's ever seen yeah. it. <laughs> and Paul Schrader hasn't seen it either. Wow. I, I can't wait till they do. <laughs> anyway, but um, so so that kept me afloat. And that was where I didn't have to get a nine to five either because that was, that was helping me along. Um, and then I got four letter words into South by. It got a small DVD release, which I didn't even get paid for. But it was keeping me going. Right. And that's when Dogma 95 kicked in. Can you define Dogma 95? Oh, just yeah, sorry. Little, no problem. Just for... It's a film movement that I guess uh, came out of perhaps Denmark and in that area um, by a, a bunch of filmmakers, including you know Lars von Trier mm-hmm. and um, Vindenberg, okay. the guy who made Celebration and... and Susanna Bear, can you please fact check? I'll these? fact check. <laughs> I'll cut Thanks. anyone's. That Thanks. Aren't Thank it. you. Um, so, but but at the time it was this. Uh, I guess this it was this, this semi. I guess they could say it was their their movement. It was a way of saying, look, let's let's make films. There were there were, there was a goal behind it. It was about finding, I guess, truth in filmmaking. So they said you can shoot it on standard definition film. Uh, they had a bun- they had a manifesto and a bunch of rules that were supposed to be followed. But but um, 
but what it did to me is that it really inspired me. And, and I always, to this day, I consider Lars von Trier's Dogma 95 uh, film, The Idiots, as one of my favorite films and most, I, I, I consider it one of the best films ever made. And, and, and I said, wow, if I can look at this, this film that's shot on standard definition and doesn't look so beautiful, but it is such a beautiful movie, um, I can do it too. There's no reason I can't do it. I have access to standard definition cameras. I had, you know, everyone had a mini DV camera at the time. So I, Xi Ching and I went out and we made takeout. I mean, we were barely paying rent at the time. I mean, it was that bad. This was between IFC, between Greg the Bunny seasons. And we said, we're going to make something for like three grand. That was our budget. We shot this movie. Um, our we it was just the two of us. We we wore every hat possible, except you know our lead actor Charles Jang, actually was like our third crew member. He was helping us carry the tripod. You know what I mean? Like it was really that gorilla and that um, you know minimal in terms of the way we we we. It was truly running gun. As 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 gorilla as you get. Who was? I mean, you, you were behind the camera. I was doing camera and sound. Okay, camera. Like and sound. I would love people. We shot in a real takeout on the Upper West Side, so mm-hmm. I would just I love that entire place, <laughs> so that you know we, we were using real customers coming in, and then quickly chasing them down after they made their order, and so that we could get them to sign a release. Wow. You know, um, and you know the film um, premiered at Slamdance in '04. And had a nice life, but we, we got a distributor, Cavu uh, Pictures, but they didn't have enough money to put it out at the time. And there was a waiting game and a waiting game. And I was getting so impatient. I went ahead and I made Prince of Broadway with some more money that I made off of Greg the Bunny. So I was still paying for my film. So right. I had to pay for Four Letter Words, Takeout, and Prince of Broadway. Now, Takeout was only three grand. Prince of Broadway was forty-five grand, but you know, I I just was like, if I don't keep moving, I'm gonna die here. So I gotta keep making movies. And what happened was that that was the time I think where it all sort of came together because because I I, I decided that I was gonna spend the rest of my money with doing a sort of a hybrid service deal on takeout where I was working with the distributor and putting my own money into it to get it into theaters. Wow. Now. So it, got into, so it got into theaters at the same time that Prince of Broadway was hitting the festival circuit. Prince of Broadway got a lot of attention from critics, and all of a sudden they said, oh, but he has another feature in theaters right now. And they thought it was like a one-two punch, when it actually wasn't. There were actually, it was actually like three years between the two movies. But um, it seemed like I was prolific. Right. And then all of a sudden, on top of that, they were both nominated for the Cassavetes Award the same year, so they actually competed against one another. Wow. Kino Lorber, a very prestigious label, um, which I I love, picked up Takeout. Prince of Broadway came out in theaters. Lee Daniels helped us with the release of that by putting his name on it and saying Lee Daniels presents to get us more traction. So those two came out, Spirit Awards hit, and then suddenly I was in a place where I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And we had our last final season of Greg the Bunny on TV. It was called War in the Ape. It was like a spinoff. It, it died so fast. Nobody knows about it, though it's, I would recommend. It's I'm, kind of funny, I'll, actually. I'm gonna check it, out. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, it was um, actually, um, it was Snooky 
it was killed us because it was the second season of uh, Jersey Shore. And they were like, their ratings were like five million a night or something. And ours was like less than a quarter of a million. Like ours were, we were dead in the water. So we were quickly canceled. But, but what happened was that I was spent that, that year in LA and it inspired me. And I was like, I want to meet, I want to live here. And plus I, being on Warren, I met all these adult film stars because we were doing cameos. And I was like, I'm going to make a social little social realist little cinema verite film about an adult film star. And so Chris and I, uh, you know, we, we, we went, I went to New York, wrote Starlet with him. Um, and by that time, because I think of what happened with Takeout and Prince of Broadway, we were able to get financing finally. And, and then all of a sudden, Dree Hemingway comes my way because of her manager loving Prince of Broadway. So it proved that like all that, like me putting my own money into it and like, will I ever get a break? Yes. In hindsight, it actually did work. Like all my self self investment in my own projects actually got me to a place where suddenly, finally I had a financier. Finally, I had a, like a, a Mariel's daughter, Ernest's great granddaughter starring in my film. And, you know, it was just finally the ball ball was rolling Mm -hmm. and that I'm going to sum up the that led to Duplass and loving you know coming up to the next film and then of course Tangerine leading to this film so it was like it was years of just like a lot of a lot of um almost giving up almost giving up almost giving up but feeling that if I don't invest in myself nobody will yeah I, I think that if anything is my is what I say to like people, you just got to keep going, keep going and putting your product out there because you got to keep proving yourself. You're not, people aren't just going to come and just throw money at you until they see actually potential and, you know, so yeah, I'm sorry for being so long winded there. No, are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, I I mean, it just seems like, uh, you know, you, if no one else is going to believe in you, you have to believe in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I do have a really great team around me and They've been very supportive over the years, and I've loved collaborating with them. So you, it's also about finding, you know, those people that you really connect with and have a similar sensibility and, and people that you can, yeah, again, rely on. Yeah. You know. Well, man, we, like, I, I could spend another half hour talking yeah, with you. We didn't even get to that. Florida Project. But, sorry. You know. Well, let me just say Florida Project <laughs> is coming out October 6th in New York and L.A. Yeah. It's my biggest film yet. I finally got over the million-dollar mark Hell in terms yeah. of a budget. If you add up all the budgets of the previous films, they don't even reach a million. No, I'm and sure so, they're nowhere close. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I was able to finally make a movie, a movie for a couple million. A beautiful distributor by, by the name of A24. You oh, may yeah. have heard them. They're, about them. They're putting it out. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the film then you know um, rolls out. We go wider the second weekend, October 13th. And you'll see it in, hopefully in your home city. And, uh, and it's shot for the big screen. I yes. just want to emphasize that. I'm Alexis Zabe, who shot it is an, an amazing cinematographer. We shot this on 35 millimeter. It should be seen on the big screen. And Absolutely. if you love The Little Rascals, I think you'll really connect with this movie. And uh, yeah, yeah, have I mean, fun with it. I will go on record saying that it's my favorite movie I've seen this year. So, oh and I've seen, a lot, I've seen a lot of movies. Wow. I was, I mean, I was blown away. Oh, and well, thank you. That many of so my much. friends also say that. So, that means so you much. know, thank you. this whole Dogma 95 thing yeah. makes total sense as to you know tangerine and like you 
essentially starting a demo, the, demo, the democratization of <laughs> film in a lot of ways. Um, well, I, I was inspired by dogma, and if, if, if my use of the iPhone on Tangerine has inspired others, well, that's just, and that's just a wonderful thing. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for talking cool. with us today, cool. Sean. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. The Flora Project is out in New York and L.A. now and will be expanding to theaters nationwide by the end of the month. Definitely go see it on the big screen and you'll have yourself an incredible experience. If you like our interview episodes, go ahead and subscribe to the whole No Film School podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, whatever podcast platform you use. And if you really like us, you can slap us with a five-star rating on iTunes. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. And we will see you Thursday for Indie Film Weekly.